Blog Hello, everyone. I'm jumping the gun today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to uh, Girl Power Hour. It is 3 o'clock Central. I'm coming to you from Lubbock, Texas. And my guest today, of course, is Skylar Liberty Rose, who is coming to us from New York City. And I will say, uh, I have a few announcements before we get to our conversation with Skylar. Um, and I think I jumped the gun on the on the show because I'm super excited for this day. Uh, not just because I have one of my favorite people in the world on the show with me, but also because I I seriously need this this hour of debriefing, and I, I'm hopeful that everyone who's tuning in is um, going to take full advantage of just unplugging from social media for a little bit and uh, turning off the news and pouring a nice hot cup of tea and taking in some comfort and self-care. I think we all really need to practice self-care right now. Um, I do have a few quick announcements um, coming up, of course, on February 1st, next Wednesday, we will have our Psychic Wednesday, as we do every first Wednesday of the month, with Elizabeth Harbin. And um, we are going to be having a few more prayer shows in the future as well. We have not yet come up with dates for those, but the same prayer shows that Elizabeth Harbin and Daniel Katsuk helped with um, on December 12th and December 21st, we will be organizing a few of those for the very near future. So stay tuned for that information as well, and certainly tune in on Wednesday to hear from Elizabeth and I, as I'm sure we'll have dates for you then. And then on February 8th, Jamie Lerner, co-author of the book The Ever-Loving Essence of You, will be on the show. Again, these are all at 3 p.m. Central. And then Valerie Green, relationship coach, she will be back with us on February 15th, with the day after Valentine's Day. This will be a call-in show. So you can call in with your questions concerning your relationship, um, any of the issues that you're having, and uh, she'll be happy to give you some advice. So that'll be a, a really good show to tune in to as well. All of these are great, and I'm super excited and honored to have all these guests on. And, of course, honored always to have, again, one of my most favorite people in the world, Skylar Liberty Rose, on the show today. Hello, Skylar. Hello, and thank you so much for having me back. And I do feel very honored after that that list of amazing people to be included. So thank you, thank you for having me here. Oh, thank you. I, you know, I want to say that um, almost like the universe designed it, because you and I have been talking about doing these two times once a month, and then we set this date up a bit random. It wasn't exactly like last month, but what perfect timing. Uh, considering everything that's going on, to have this opportunity to speak. And I can't thank you enough for being on today because, like I said, uh, those of you out there listening who don't know Skylar, she's been on the show many times before, but but uh, she is a, a writer and creator of the Empowerment Experience, and um, her writings are always very empowering and, and uplifting and inspirational. And this, of course, the Empowerment Experience is uh, – it, well, certainly is an experience, but it's something that's truly necessary to really begin the healing process and the, and the personal growth process. And having you on the show today uh, and to all the listeners out there, it, having this opportunity to speak to you when so much is going on, <laughs> to have an opportunity to speak to a person who has <laughs> always provided uplifting perspectives and in, inspirational perspectives. It's, and, you know, while being real, because you and I are both very – uh, big on being real and not just trying to paint a rainbow over 
reality and, and not look at it, but to, to face it head on, and you're very good at that. But to be able to talk to you about this today, man, I really needed it. So thank you so much for this. And again, it could just be better designed. So you were involved in, uh, I mean, the Women's March is going on in Washington, but when I say the Women's March, I'm, in, I'm all inclusive about everyone that was standing in solidarity across the globe. Um, so I know that the Women's March is specific to the Washington, D.C. event, but I also am aware there were so many different marches and, and stands occurring. But you were, you were marching in New York City, so I would love for you to share that experience with our listeners. Absolutely. I was marching in New York City, and um, when I say marching, it was more of a slow shuffle. Um, <laughs> the the motion of the march didn't actually kind of you know get as as going as it might have done, but for the most beautiful reason, which was that um, there were just so many people that turned up for it. So um, there was there was some marching. There was also a lot of standing and just um, you know being in the crowd and kind of soaking it all up. And it was. It was an incredible, incredible experience. Um, just to give a little bit of background, I, after the election, um, the idea of the Women's March uh, sprung up, I think almost immediately afterwards. And then I had the idea, as most people I think did, a, a very um, an instant reaction of, wow, that sounds amazing. Yes, I want to do something. I feel compelled to to be a part of a movement and a healing. And so, yes, I want to go. And then very quickly, um, there was some criticism about the Women's March in Washington specifically. And I, I mean, I, I definitely encourage people to, I've posted um, certainly things on my social media um, pertaining to that. But um, the the biggest reason that came um, as a kind of uh, criticism was that this was something that had been done previously by black women as part of the civil rights movement. And black women, uh, after the election, were saying, well, hold on a moment, we've already done this. And we feel as though we have this um, this kind of anger and frustration right now that not only did we do it back then, but we're still doing it now. And as we know, the majority vote that um, our president received um, was from white women. So there was some anger and animosity about the march. Now, I wanted to go as an individual, as a female who has experienced countless, and I mean countless instances of street harassment, sexual harassment, sexual assault. And so it was a very it was a decision that I, I wanted to do for all of the right reasons. And I wanted to honor my own needs. And I wanted to also hear and understand the the kind of, you know, cries and criticism from other people. Um, and I, I honestly couldn't get to a place where I felt entirely comfortable about going to Washington. Um, and that's not a criticism about people who did go, because I think we've probably all seen... Um, uh, if you, a few things on social media to say the least over the last couple of days that have yeah. been kind of um, blaming and shaming and I'm not really interested in doing that um, right anyway 
all of that to say that I made the decision that I wanted to march for myself and for the reasons that I've mentioned, but I also wanted to take into account other people's experiences and viewpoints that are not necessarily my own. Um, that was kind of easy to do in as much as living in New York City, I automatically I, I'm in a diverse area just by putting my foot outside the front door because it is, you know, the absolute melting pot of America probably um, and the world in so many respects. It's so hugely diverse. So I knew that the New York City march would be kind of um, very um, representative of many groups and courses so I felt comfortable attending um, and it was very very diverse and I was so encouraged to see so many people just show up and the emotion in the crowd was just I mean I'm no stranger to rallies and protests and marches as you know I I believe in turning up I believe in showing up and I I've been to so many marches in my time but nothing like this it was it was quite simply phenomenal and I think people people wanted to be there for a variety of reasons there were so many signs there was a lot about intersectionality which I'll speak more about in the show but I was very, very encouraged. I didn't feel as though it was just representing a certain demographic, i.e. white women. Um, there were lots of men there. There were lots of children there. And yeah. honestly, I, I came away from the, the day with a renewed sense of hope because it's very easy to share information on social media. It's very easy for us to share our uh, complaints and criticisms on social media. It's not so easy to get people to actually you know, be mobilized and get into um, a movement that requires them to be right. somewhere physically. And just to mm -hmm. see the amount of people, the amount of effort that had gone into, you know, the way that people were, the signs alone were pieces of art. It was incredible. Um, and I, I felt wholly encouraged that people care enough, or at least care enough now, or cared enough on that day to just get themselves onto the streets and as you say it was a global thing and not everyone was marching yes. but there were lots of different events that required people to participate in different ways and people right. got involved and it was yeah it was just outstanding so I'm thrilled to have been a part of it um, and now I think is the time that we need to keep the momentum up and not to let that I just agree. be a day that you know that's what we've done or we've done our bit now we we marched or we we went to an event or we made a sign or something um I think we really really it's crucial not only that we keep the momentum but that we keep amplifying the voices of people who are perhaps not being um as widely heard as they deserve to be and so my my personal work and certainly I'll be guiding my professional work into um, that realm as well is to to really focus on the intersections on yes I'm a feminist but I, I really want to be much more aware of intersectional feminism um, and to, to amplify, say, the voices of, of others who are not really being given 
much, much less center stage. So that's becoming like a, a very, very real thing for me now. Yes, and I love that. And and let me say, <clears throat> too, you know, you spoke to, uh, I'm going to cover a few things here because I love so much of what you said and what you experienced, but you said something about, you know, not everybody marched. And I will say I've been, uh, you know, of course there's some areas in which you you see people criticizing uh, the Women's March and, you know, you're aware that it, you're not really going to be doing anything except expending important energy to try to uh, get on and, and advocate. But there are some time, you know, there's some areas, even on, on social media and, of course, in person, those are the best ways to do it, but if on social media you have an actual friend or a person that you that you know that is, uh, you know, because I've, I've experienced mostly I mean, I, I guess I just kind of overlook the, any men that have an issue with it uh, because not that I expect it. There were so many men there. Um, I wouldn't put that on all men, you know, that all men would expect. I just know that there will be some men that will certainly have issues with it. But when the women say something is when I get most, of, I guess, have more of an emotional charge because it's like, wow, really? How could you? You're a woman. But at the same time, I'm aware that there's a lot of misinformation put out there for divisive purposes, and I know that there's divisive media, and I'm aware that, you know, on both sides, we, we are seeing only, you know, if, if you're not trying to find unbiased media outlets, you're seeing only one side of things, and things are skewed, you know, specific, in a specific way. And, and so there have been times where I've, you know, had people that I know that I've been able to kind of jump on and try to not necessarily uh, debate, because that's not my interest, as much as it is to inform, possibly, you know, educate, and, and maybe even empower someone who is either speaking that way because they have been misinformed or because they're coming from a place of privilege um, where they don't, they really are not aware of struggles outside of themselves or people like them, or they possibly are victims as well and they're being silenced in their own homes. And so I'm often trying to discern which is which, but I've been doing that quite a bit this week. And, um, and when the opportunities arise, and trying to find out where those that mode of thinking is coming from. But um, I did not personally march because, I mean, I live in a small community. Now, that doesn't say we didn't have a march. We did. But I was already involved in an event that was occurring before we ever, any of those that organized the event were, were aware that there was a local march. And there were, you know, for this particular area, um, there was a great turnout. There was also a great turnout at our event as well. And and uh, in, in our event was more of a, I mean, in, in, to be fair, a lot of people left our event and went to this march, so it wasn't that people didn't do both. But um, this was the Nasty Women Lubbock exhibition, the art exhibit that happened a week before, also had planned a Nasty Women um, gallery talk and a speak out and a stand for equality ceremony. So we had all of this, plus we did a T-shirt making workshop and made a lot of nasty women and feminist T-shirts and stuff for that day. But as you said, there were women and men and children and, you know, all mixes of, of uh, you know, different cultures. And, and, and that was something, and the, and the whole experience just in and of itself, because obviously while sitting in this in this particular event, I had no idea that 
millions of people across the globe were involved in this until I left and checked, you know, news, social media, whatever. But while sitting in this, I mean, I had already been, I'd already felt that uplifting energy the week prior during the art exhibit. And sitting in this event felt that intense hope and uplifting energy. It was just really, honestly, I'm sure you know this, and anyone listening that attended anything like this, it was indescribable. And it's something that really, you, it's so sacred to me now, I can't really even put words on it. It's, it's in my right. heart, and it's, for, it's forever in my heart. It will be there eternally. It is, it is like someone, you know, I was already a fighting spirit. We already have light. You know, we're already, everyone that's listening, I know we're all filled with that light. But this was like a torch that just kind of lit everyone to, it's like we went from just being lights to glowing. I mean, it was just our entire bodies were, you know, and, and suddenly we were just different beings. And I came away with that or from that with a level of confidence and courage and hope and empowerment that I have never in all the work that I've done on myself and in reading and in counseling and everything, I've never acquired. And I know that, you know, whether you think that's from a higher power or your higher self or, or the power of, you know, numbers and the fact that there's so many of us gathered, whatever it was, it is absolutely precious to me. And um, I know that that is a movement. That is not just a moment. And like you said, we have to really continue that moving forward because it is it has been it is like that sacred fire that has been lit just like in the in the standing rock you know that lit a literal sacred fire this sacred fire has been lit within our souls and we really truly have to continue to keep that burning and keep that moving we can't allow it to be doused out and so, you know, any of the criticisms that we're all reading, we just have to know that this is something, and I think you said it, Skylar, on your page, on your personal page, you cannot take this from me. Like, this is a feeling that is embedded deep within my soul. It is an experience that has become more than that. It is sacred, and you can't take it from me. It's there, and, and it will continue to be a life force that drives me through this journey of resistance. Absolutely. And I think there's been, um, with regard to like, perhaps a backlash against the march, I think that's come from two main kind of um, like groups and or trains of thought, should I say. And one of those mm-hmm. trains of thought is, well, I'm just, for whatever reason, I'm just going to attack the march and I'm just going to sit here on my keyboard and I'm just going to, you know, spew kind of like hatred about someone or something today. So it's just troll-like behavior. That's part of it. Honestly, I mean, that's probably all we need to say about that because we can, uh, you know, (laughs) we can speak for a long time about the the whys and wherefores so why people would do that. But, so I'm not listening to that group because I'm. To me, it's just it'll be the women's march they're criticising today, and then it'll be something else tomorrow. Right. And I'm just kind of you yeah. know I can't get distracted with that. What I do want to get distracted with though is another train of thought, which I think is very very valid. And once again, um, this has come from um, women from women of colour who um, are 
I believe quite rightly saying that they, you know, they feel that for many, many years they've known such a history of oppression and they're still dealing with this oppression. Um, and one of the women that I've been paying a lot of attention to is Stacey Ann Chin. Um, now, mm-hmm. Stacey Ann is a spoken word poet. She's a performing artist and she's an LGBT rights political activist. And she's quite well known. Um, I discovered her work probably about 18 months ago. And I've been following mm-hmm. her on her Instagram page since. And I really appreciate her insights. I She's somebody that I, I listen to intently. Um, and she went to the uh, the Women's March in DC and she was posting from the march, um, you know, giving lots of updates. And um, she's, she's very forthright. You know, she doesn't beat around the bush, which is one of the things that I like about her. Um, and then after the march, one of the questions that she said, which is, this is her usual regular voice. This, these are questions that she always is asking. But she she said, you know, do you ever notice that when a black woman starts asking questions about where race and racism are within the struggle, that people are very quick to to call that that questioning, that line of questioning divisive. Um, So she's saying it's great when we all come together, when we are all kind of almost quietly and, you know, um, like playing nicely, if you will, we're celebrating the larger feminist agenda. And as soon as we say, okay, that was a fantastic march, but now can we talk about, now that we've got your attention, now that you're listening, now that you're mobilized, can we talk about racism within feminism? Everybody will then start saying, well, hold on a minute, you're being divisive. And it's the argument is, or the question is shouted down before it even gets a chance to to be acknowledged, to breathe. And that's something I'm, I'm very open to paying attention to because... This this history of oppression has, and the ignoring of it, and the um, the continuing to allow it to to exist, has brought us to where we are. We have to pay attention now. And when I say we, I mean we as white women, particularly because I do think it's fantastic. And of course, I've just spoken about how fantastic it was that we did come together globally, but we we cannot just say okay i played my part and now i can just dip out of it again because that really is falling back on our privilege we have a responsibility right. now to continue to keep this momentum but also to make sure that we're paying attention to intersectional feminism and make sure that we're putting people who have previously not had a voice that we're actually putting them in the center of the room and saying, now we're listening to you and we're not just doing it as a token gesture and we're not just giving you five minutes airtime and then we're going to speak over you and then we're going to try and dismantle everything that you've put forward. That can't be how it is. We have to do this properly. We have to dismantle the systems that we have become very familiar with. And this is difficult for us. You know, this is difficult for us as white women to do this and one of the responses that i i gave to the question that stacy anchin had asked you know why when she had said why are we accused of being divisive just when we try and speak about our own oppression um because she said when are we going to take on the sustained work to deal with racism within the sisterhood mm. and i my response was that i think this is actually the single big, biggest issue that white women 
obviously I include myself in that, have to deal with because we know that we voted in Trump. And when I say we, I mean, you know, that was the highest percentage, not you and I personally. Right. Um, right. But I didn't understand. I didn't always understand the role, the very, very crucial role um, intersectionality plays. And now that I have become more aware of it, I do, I am able to check my defensiveness and fragility now in a way that I wasn't always able to. And I think what it is, is that the reason that we get defensive when, so for instance, if, um, you know, something like the march or any any um, movement where women come together, for the majority of the time, white women will come away afterwards saying, wasn't that fantastic? That was amazing. And then if somebody, as Stacey Ann Chin just did, says, well, hold on a minute, but can we also talk about this? We tend to get very defensive and almost as though, well, hold on a minute, you're ruining the day. You're taking away right. something from our, our nice experience because you're daring to question that there might be something more that we can do or that you're being left out. And, you know, gosh, can't, can't you just let us have our day? And, you know, we get defensive. And I think we get defensive because really, as white people, we've never had to truly acknowledge our privilege, much less address it. So we get defensive instead, and I think that that is what has to change. I think we have to centre the voices that previously, up until this point, have not been centred, and we actually have to listen because, you know, the fact that we haven't done that so far, I think, is a very, very large part of why we are where we are, where we are. Sorry. Um, right. So if if we really want change, we have to we have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable with getting it wrong like I'm doing now I'm talking about intersectionality and this is something that is very new to me and somebody out there might be listening thinking oh my goodness like what on earth is she talking about like you know that part was wrong and she didn't include this and I'm just going to put myself out there now and say well tell me let me know and then I'll do better next time but I we, we have to you know push ourselves out of our comfort zones because not everyone actually has the luxury of being in a comfort zone at all and so you know this is this is part of the work yes i agree i you know i have a uh, my second master's has women's studies specification and in in that work uh there was a great deal of uh, talk about intersectional feminism and um, actually, interestingly enough, as you and I have been talking on the show, I just received an email from the head of the Women's Studies Department, um, and I'll, I'll announce what she was talking about before we end the show, but but the topic is intersectional feminism and how to continue this movement forward, making sure that we are inclusive, uh, including that as, as uh, obviously uh, a point of discussion. We have to continue to do this work. Like you said, this is where the work is. Um, you know, I think it's interesting... Uh, now I'm aware uh, this speaks to two different two different aspects of the march, uh, but you know I have quite a few friends that have pointed out uh, you know there were there were very few arrests if any I don't, I don't know how many were in Washington D.C. but I, from what I heard zero, um, and then like if if anything it was like two or three you know, um, and I know that that can speak to the fact that people were peaceful yes. Uh, but I also know that um, people were peaceful in Standing Rock, and there were arrests, right? Right, and there were right. like militarized police attacking these peaceful, prayerful water protectors who didn't even feel comfortable calling themselves protesters. Um, 
and they didn't have uh, any signs really. I mean, you know, it was just like really everybody out there just praying and, 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 and being peaceful and, and doing native dances. And yet they were attacked by militarized police. And so we, if we were to switch this and if the news were reporting uh, millions of minority groups, you know, out there without all these white women, um, how would it have played out? Would it have played out the same? I mean, we don't know, but that's a question that we should be asking. Right. Because uh, I think from my personal knowledge of just Standing Rock situation, I am comfortable to say that it likely would have played out much differently because uh, for many reasons, you know, people could easily say, well, no, but, but let's really look at it. If it would have been a Black Lives Matter movement, if it would have been, you know, anything else on that scale, it would have turned out much differently. There would have been uh, probably more of a violent reaction. And that isn't to say that, you know, there weren't minorities present. But when you have the protection of the privileged, you know, and that's what it is, when you have that protection of the privileged, then there's less likely that there will be a violent reaction. Um, And so that just points to it right there and how much work really truly needs to be done and, and the discussions that need to be had. And they're not comfortable. I mean, it's not comfortable for me to talk about it because... You know, personally, I'm like, I don't even like speaking for it because I'm like, I don't, you know, I almost would be more comfortable hearing someone that's in a, in one of these minority groups speaking to me about it. Um, right. And when I have these conversations, it's so uncomfortable because, uh, you know, in a room when people are talking, I don't know how other people are going to react. So I've in the past tried to organize um, forums that address these things, and it's, you know, there are groups that aren't comfortable coming in with a group of white women to try to help because they have dealt with so much basically traumatizing, um, you know, responses from attempting to have their voice heard that they really don't feel safe emotionally to come in and, and try to express their experience because no one can tell them that it will be safe. No one can right. control, you know, the the reaction. And so it is a very, uh, it's it's definitely something that we all need to be looking at, we all need to be facing. I mean, this is, this is the time, and this is what this is for. I mean, all of these things happening in the world right now, this is the, this is the time to heal these things that are being surfaced, and they're being surfaced in a very big, terrifying way, you know, uh, but this is the way that we do it. We yeah. look at it. We can't just keep on pretending it doesn't exist. Even it, And we know that growth doesn't occur in our comfort zone. It occurs outside of it. So right. if it's uncomfortable, then you need to be talking about it <laughs> because that's, exactly. you know, that's where the healing starts. Exactly. And, I mean, there's so much. <laughs> I've just been sitting here nodding my head to all of that Um you're absolutely right um, with regards to the the police presence. Um, I mean, I've been to marches for Black Lives Matter and it has felt to be a very, very different vibe. And I have to say that, it, you know, great that nobody was arrested, but it, there's a different reception from the authorities depending on the the 
culture and or the race of the people who are like the majority of who is marching right. and so I do think that has to be taken into an account um I do think as well that, again, like you, these are conversations that I do find to be uncomfortable and I I certainly don't want to put myself at the centre stage of them. And the way that I am trying to do things differently is by amplifying um, the voices of people who, like I say, do, I feel, have um, much more of a, a right and to represent themselves mm-hmm. more than I do. Um, and right. Stacey Ann Chin is most definitely one of those people. Um, another person, I mean, I, I did, it's probably something I should do again, actually, because I, I did last year kind of um, post a list of um, either uh, publications or people who um, are in minority groups who I whose voices I wanted to amplify um, rather than me say, well, this is what I feel about Black Lives Matter. I'm not saying there's not room for me to have a voice um, and sure. not room for me to speak within my own community and help to create awareness, but I feel much more comfortable about bringing it back to um you know the the voices of people who currently aren't being heard rather than just making my own voice louder um one of the people that has really helped me um is and i shared i think you saw um, a video on my facebook page this morning that was inspired by her is uh isabel faith abbott and Mm -hmm. isabel is um, a, a white female but she is very vocal about intersectionality and I've learned so much from her just from her Facebook posts alone um, and one of the things that I, I deeply admire about her is that she she doesn't put any posts out to get likes and she doesn't put any posts out to be nice to people or to be seen to be nice and she she's said to herself she's not concerned with whether people think she's nice or not so sometimes her post will be quite uncomfortable reading and they're always informative they're always useful but sometimes I notice that they they may provoke something in me that I I then recognize is something that I have to deal with and so you know when people speak about privilege a lot of the time I think that's that's a very difficult topic for people you know to um put it this way if you are a white person and somebody starts telling you about your privilege and you're thinking well I've got three dollars in my bank account and my job is going to end in you know a month's time and my rent is going up it's really difficult to hear the word privilege because you don't feel like you're privileged you know right but my the way that I have kind of come to um to not flare up when I hear the word privilege directed at me is to recognize that it nobody is saying that I don't have problems and stresses and difficulties in this world. Right. Nobody is saying that. What they're more than likely saying is that I quite possibly do not have the very specific set of challenges and stresses and problems that are being spoken about in that moment or in that context. So it's not when, when people refer to privilege, because it, it does seem to be a triggering word for a lot of people, it really mm. isn't about you have a perfect life, you have everything. It's just saying you are not um, either held to the same discriminations as this person is or you don't have the unique set of obstacles and challenges that this group of people 
may have. Um, so, because I, I, I see, I see that when the word privilege is used quite often before a conversation has even begun, people are angry because they feel like they're they're being told that they they have a better life than somebody else. And I think if we if we can just create space for these conversations to to happen where that hostility is taken out of the conversation to begin with, then we have a much better chance at actually receiving each other and holding space for each other. Um, so, and again, one of the, the things that I've learned from Isabel is how to, um, how to be able to have these conversations without censoring myself, but by amplifying others, also by not ducking out of doing the work. So it's not just necessarily about sharing information um, and pointing people to either um, uh, websites or um, pages of uh, black women or black men or native people or anyone else who is marginalized or oppressed. It's not about simply saying, oh, I've just shared a link and, you know, I've done my bit. It's about doing that, amplifying those voices, but also being willing and being um, equipped to to stand up and tackle what we can when we can because as white people we will be privy to conversations and comments that won't be said in front of perhaps black people I know that people will say things in front of me that they certainly won't say in front of my husband so then I have an opportunity in those moments to speak up and this isn't about me taking anything away from him and his right to speak, but it's more that I'm afforded opportunities that he may not be. And I, it's in those circumstances I'm able to use my voice, I think, to its best advantage. Yes. I 100% agree with you. You know, I also have to say, just on the the situation that you just mentioned about privilege kind of sparking uh, reaction. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I do believe that, uh, like you just said, that there are there are areas where we can say, okay, you know, I, I saw a video where a woman was telling people how to use their privilege as a voice. That doesn't mean to speak for someone else, but to inform, educate in a way that will be heard so that these other voices can then be heard, you know, because people are not, keep, like you yeah. said, holding space for that. But I also know that it's irritating uh, from my perspective as well to watch people get so amped about these words because, it, to me, they're just getting caught up in semantics. Um, mm-hmm. There are numerous ways to present what someone's trying to say to you when they say that's your privilege talking, I mean, the other ways that they could say that, and I'm just speaking to listeners who might be struggling with this, the other ways that they could say that is, you know, that's your skin color or that's your culture or that's your, I mean, all of these ways that it would be uh, spoken to you could be offensive to you if you're not willing to hear it because defensiveness is not about the other person. If someone gets defensive because I say, well, that's your male privilege or that's your heterosexual privilege or that's your white privilege, if I if I say that, I get defensive reactions, you know, and I'm 
you know, not, and so I cannot even imagine how defensive it gets when someone in a minority group says this, because we know that uh, the reactions are much more, they vilify, you know, it just totally changes. So, and then of course it, it all becomes about their story, right? It's like, well, let me tell you how horrible my life was. It becomes this whole story. And again, within that is privilege. So it's interesting to me because I feel like, what we all have to sit back and, and think about is that <laughs> these are all just words and we're getting caught up in the semantics of things. We have to see past the semantics and see the feelings. I remember, I know this may not make a whole lot of sense. Let me try to make the point. When I was a child, as everyone that's ever listened to this knows, I was you know, as abused as a child. And when I would try to tell the person that was hurting me, you're hurting me, I would literally say those words, that person would get defensive and start telling me, okay, well, fine, I'm a horrible mother, I'm this, I'm that, you know, become very defensive and sarcastic and all this. Now, I mean, you can slam all sorts of diagnoses on that, but the point is that when people are being called on behavior, even if it's done from a child, you know, even if it's from someone who doesn't really even know how to offend you, you know, they're not certainly attacking you. They're just trying to advocate for themselves. It's not about you. Right. And the thing that gets involved there is your ego. Your ego gets so involved in, well, I don't do, I don't do anything wrong. I don't hurt anybody's feelings. And the truth of the matter is when somebody says your privilege is talking, they are not telling you, that you are doing something wrong. What they are telling you is you are not aware of my plight. Like you are not aware of it because you have never been in my shoes. You have not been in my skin. You have not been in my body. You have no idea. And so they're not telling you that you did something wrong as much as they're trying to inform you about their experience. And they're trying to tell you to move your ego aside and listen <laughs> and that's yeah. the thing that is has to happen in our world now is we cannot get and I speak to myself too because I get caught up in, in words as well we, we cannot get caught up in the words right now as much as we have to hear people it's the same with like you know you and I have spoken about the oh let's just be positive let's just no, let's let people feel. Right. Let's let people express. Let's let people talk yeah. about what they need to talk about. If we silence them with quote unquote positive thinking, we're doing just as much harm as the oppressor himself, you know, and any any, any other oppressor out there. We, that is oppression. And so it's the same with whenever someone comes to you and says, this is what's going on, and then you have something to say, and then they say, okay, well, that's your privilege talking. And then if you come back with it to sing, then. You become yeah. more than just the privilege. Now you're the oppressor. Because to me, someone who's speaking from their privilege really is just, um, I, I don't want to say ignorant because it always comes off as like stupid, but I mean like you don't know. You know, you, it's just you haven't been in their shoes so you don't know. But the minute that you become defensive and start attacking that person for trying to explain to you why you don't understand, then you become oppressive. That's when you become the oppressor because your ego takes hold and suddenly you're trying to silence people from not only expressing their 
emotions, their feelings, their experience, but also advocating for themselves and finally having a voice. And if that isn't who you are and you're not a racist and you're not an oppressor and you don't want to be that, then when somebody says your privilege is talking, then just count to ten, breathe, <laughs> let your ego move aside and listen. You know, listen to what they have to say. It's difficult to do. We all struggle with the ego, you know. But of course. it really is important in, that, it's important in that moment to say, okay, this is the uh, this is the universe or whomever you believe in, you know, God, what Jesus, whoever it is you believe in, your higher self. This is this is someone telling me, okay, this is time for me to listen, because every time someone's telling you that, it is it is someone knocking on a door of opportunity for growth, for you to listen and learn and evolve, you know, and stop stagnating in this old pattern of thinking because the whole world is resisting that now and we have to move out of it yeah absolutely and also I think it is um, worth noting that privilege isn't always something that we ask for because I think that's another thing that um, people kind of get caught up in that they they feel very defensive because they say well you know I, I don't ask to be treated differently but it's not necessarily about that. It's sometimes we, quite often, in fact, we benefit from privilege just because because of our skin. And it's not that anyone is saying, well, you're asking to be treated differently as a white person, and that's what's annoying me. But it's it's something that we, we benefit from, like the same way that my husband doesn't ask to walk down the street and not be given um, or subjected to street harassment because he's a male, but he still benefits from that male privilege. You know, it's, so it's not necessarily right. something that we we seek for ourselves but it is something that quite often we benefit from um so yeah it's like again I think it's about exactly as you said we we need to just kind of set our ego down and this is very easy when you and I are talking and we're in agreement and we're having a conversation where we probably feel like we're being validated and you know it's easy in the context of, of these kind of conversations and it's much, much more difficult when we are in much more challenging conversations with people who do not share our viewpoints and we we have to try and keep our ego in check. And I have really tried to, to step away from um, some of the online battles that perhaps I was more willing to engage in um, last year than I am now. And I recently put a post out saying that Leon and I have spoken for long hours about where we we've really reassessed, you know, where we feel that our work as um, creative people and as a couple, where our work is in this this strange world that we now find ourselves occupying. And we both agree that it, it's certainly not in the convincing. So when when there are people online. Um, or offline, but it doesn't seem to happen online now because that's the way that most of us interact for the majority of the time on these issues. Um, when we see that kind of conflict online, you get a very good idea very, very quickly if somebody has just entered a conversation to troll or to just to, you know, with that very um, overpowering need just to be right and they're not interested in learning anything or discussing anything and I mean I know that you and I have both experienced this personally I think 
once you begin to engage in that, it's very difficult to step away because it's, you know, each response kind of gets more, more, there's a more of a need after each response to go back with another response. And then it becomes <laughs> something that other people are paying attention to. And then you've really got to, you know, make sure that you're seen to be right. And the ego really comes into play. And I've been there and I, now I'm just like, no, not doing that because after all that is said and done, after I've wasted that two hours of my life online, what's happened? I've come away with a reinforced opinion that I already had and so has the other person. So there's very little right. that's been gained. So for us, it's certainly about having a voice online, which we'll continue to do. But um both of us are individually and together much more involved certainly over the last year and a half um and again mm -hmm. um definitely recently in being involved in the communities that we are in and i think that it's for me it's about the healing it's about holding space for people who are definitely feeling much more threatened because of the recent events in in the US and globally um people who yeah. are marginalized people who are oppressed i these are the people who are my priority right now i'm not interested in convincing somebody who is a trump supporter all the reasons why they right. shouldn't be there are exactly. times where it's appropriate to have that conversation but there is, I would say for 90% of the times that people are clashing online about you're right, I'm right, it, it just it's, the end result doesn't actually, it, there's no impact, there's no meaningful, lasting impact other than people are just irritated right. and, you know, it, it just and doesn't really exhausting. seem to serve anything. It's exactly that. It's draining, it's exhausting, it's depleting. And then we decide, oh, do you know what? I can't do this anymore, so I'm just going to not do it. And then we we go back to our, like, we try and cocoon and go back to a bubble of something. And, you know, it, it just, it's not sustainable. So right. I will engage when I, I feel that there's a point to it and that it is appropriate. And I'll, I'll use my intuition as to when that is. But for the remainder exactly. of the time, I'm very much concentrating on being in the communities, working alongside the organizations that I'm already connected to, um, and they're organizations that support freedom of speech, freedom of expression, um, housing, homelessness, AIDS, um, representing LGBTQ people, um, and certainly um, women of color. Um, there's, there's about three or four actually there's five main organizations that I, I kind of show up to regularly because I really believe in their work. And I think people who are looking for a way to continue with momentum right now, I really encourage them to definitely get out in the sure have an online presence, get involved online, but get involved offline and join right. up with organizations that are already out there. So if there's something that you feel that, you know, is particularly calling to you, I would, say it's almost certain that there's already an existing um, organization that is doing that work and you can join forces with them so um it's about keeping the unity you know the momentum going the unity going um and but also grassroots is is everything that eye contact you know you can't we can come away from online conversations feeling motivated but honestly that that feeling of being in a room full of people or in a street full of people mm -hmm. wherever it is that feeling that someone is physically showing up for you there's I don't think there's much that else that really comes close to that so I think for people who are interested in 
doing getting involved in something um to support activism for the good of everybody then you know seek out those groups because they're already there and they'll be very welcoming to to have um you know new motivated um energy joining them yes i i agree with that wholeheartedly i've been asked a lot lately you know uh, and let me say this uh, Speaking to the idea first of, of jumping online and, and advocating, again, um, you use your intuition, and if there's ever a time where it's a friend and you know there's literally some misinformation, and this is a person yeah. that, you know, respects you and that will not just attack you and you won't be involved in a troll situation, then, it, you know, if you use your intuition there, and if it seems appropriate, then you do. Um, because again, or Absolutely, even send a private yeah. message if that's safer. You know, you can always send a private message that won't be trolled by any of their friends that might not think the same way um, to to kind of express yourself and to inform and educate. That's always fine. But yes, right now is we're past the time. I, I had this conversation last night with uh, Daniel Katuk, who's often on this show. Um, you know, I I've often been told, look, before the election, you know, everybody's like, well. This is why we have to speak to people. This is why we have to inform. We cannot be so divisive. We can't just preach to the choir. And I was all for that. But now that I've seen the number in the choir, like that I've seen the the march turn out, the global kind of numbers, I'm like, I'm okay with the choir. I mean, like, I'm I'm not saying by any means that we don't talk to people that are opening that are open to listening. But these conversations need to happen in face to face moments or in private messages, because we really, and I'm saying this to myself too, I mean, I have set myself up for situations when I jump on even with friends, because they have friends that don't feel that way, and then they get into a long attack, and of course, you know, I I try to wrap those up with, okay, we're not going to agree here, and I wasn't talking to you anyway, but you know, it does drain you, because that stuff stays in your mind, and we really aren't at a point right now where we can focus on these small things, not to say that people that are small but we can't focus on these small fires you know we have to really deal with the forest fire and like try to really go after that and um it's going to take so much stamina and self-care that we need to be doing the work that we're put here to do and that includes you know, the writing like you're doing and the empowerment experience that you have and the involvement that you're having in the community and any any way listeners can get involved and you can always go online and you can find um, activist groups and, and different, you know, opportunities, events within your community. You can plug into your local, um, you know, women's programs or if you have like a women's studies department at your local college or university, you can plug in there. There's a million different ways to get plugged in and to do something in person and not just online. Um, And then you can also make sure that you're creating and putting things that are wonderful and beautiful out into the world because that is always going to be the most helpful because it does give to the world and it gives back to you. And with regard to anything that's happening currently in our world, as I was beginning to say, people are, I know, getting very overwhelmed. And that I... I saw a video today from Cory Booker, which not everybody is a big fan of Senator Cory Booker, but like at the same time, you have to think about the message that he was putting out. He was saying, um, 
something along the lines of, you know, we, we're seeing all these things happen one after the other just in the past couple of days, and it seems overwhelming. And it's like, okay, all these executive orders are being signed. I don't have any power. This is just happening. It doesn't matter what I say, but that mm-hmm. is not true. But that is the tactic. That's a fear tactic, yeah. and it's being used sort of as a bully tactic, and I would imagine it's in response to the great numbers of people that showed up to this march that are obviously in the resistance. And it is, an op- it is one of those tactics that tries desperately to overwhelm us and to make yeah. us think, you know, that there's a hammer coming down and things are going to change whether you like it or not. That's not true. And I keep saying Stay mindful of this last Saturday. Stay mindful of the numbers. Stay mindful of the fact that we are super beings, we have superpowers, and we have super numbers. We outnumber them. You know, he is one man. His administration is a handful of people. We are millions. And this is global, so that increases that number. We are, we are strong and we can do this. We just have to keep that in mind, and we have to keep moving forward together you know, with or without him, we move forward together. And I keep thinking and I keep, you know, coming back to it. If you've ever seen Finding Nemo, the little at the end where all the tuna are in the net mm-hmm. and, you know, Nemo is saying just we've got to swim down together, just swim down. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's exactly what we have to do. We have to know our own strength and, you know, know that our yeah. strength is in our numbers and that we're we just have to keep pushing in that direction. So... Thank you, Skylar, for coming on. Thank you for giving all of this information and always being such such an uplifting person in my life and a guest on this show. I know the listeners greatly appreciate it. Uh, can you let us know quickly before we go, and, and I, I'll make one quick announcement right before we get off air, but will you let us know really quickly how listeners, if they're not already in touch with you, can you know get in touch with you and, and keep up with the things that you are doing and all this information that you're sharing? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the best place to find me or to get access to all of my um, kind of uh, various online activities is through my website, which is SkylarLibertyRose.com. And from there, you can find um, my Facebook and Instagram and other things um, on my website with my blog and of course, my courses, um, I'll have a new course that was due to be released in February, but will now probably be March because um, real life has taken over and uh, I haven't quite uh, finalized everything <laughs> yet. So, um, but anyway, head over to the website, skylarlibertyrose.com. And also just another quick shout out. Um, so to find Stacey and Chin, um, she's also on very um, vocal on Facebook and on uh, Instagram and Isabel Abbott, who I also mentioned in the show, can be found over at isabelabbott.com. That's Isabel with an A. Awesome. Thank you so much for that information. And thank you again for being on the show. Let me make a really quick announcement to everyone before we get off here. I want to let everyone know if you are living local in Lubbock, Texas, or the surrounding area, um, there is a opportunity for you to get involved here. I just received an email about this. So if you are interested in joining a feminist book club, which is going to include intersectionality and really move forward with that topic, contact emily.skidmore, that's S-K-I-D-M-O-R-E, at T-T-U, as in Texas Tech University, dot E-D-U, as in education. And hopefully you guys will all tune in next Wednesday, Psychic Wednesday, with Elizabeth Harbin. We will be uh, talking to you then. Again, thank you, Skylar. And listeners, tune in next Wednesday, and I will talk to you soon. Have a wonderful rest of your week.